Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever you may be listening from. It's Blake Sorensen and Justin Dunbar back with another episode of the Inside Leverage podcast. We got our Super Bowl matchup, and yeah, I got both games wrong this weekend. <laughs> Rough one for me. Yeah, I mean, you were so close, too. You were like, I was thinking that, like, going there, like, damn, Blake's really going to get a Super Bowl, right? Yeah, but hey, if, if you guys want to look at my... Uh, my before the postseason started picks i picked buffalo uh tampa so i did get tampa bay right but when it came down to it i thought there was no way in hell tampa was beating green bay we'll we'll get to all of that in a second we got some news to talk about first of all i just want to laugh at the texans for a second um because the fact that the name josh mccown was even you know mentioned in any type of head coaching conversation uh you knew it just had to be coming from houston yeah, no, I'm. I love Josh McCown, but given the situation, like it, the like, because I'm a huge fan of this whole idea of like hiring young coaches. I don't mean like right when they're done playing. Like that's crazy. Yeah, and even like I wouldn't mind bringing him on as say a quarterbacks coach or maybe even an offensive coordinator or something along those lines. But to bring in some dude just right away as a head coach makes almost no sense to me. Yeah, I agree with that. It's down to about two guys, though. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, who should be the obvious choice, and who I'm honestly surprised still hasn't been hired. And Leslie Frazier, who, if you don't know who Leslie Frazier is, you're probably about our age. Um, if you're a little bit older, you probably still don't remember him because uh, what has he done other than be the Vikings head coach for a little while? Uh, he's with Buffalo right now. I mean, I know, but like a majority of people probably aren't scouting Buffalo's defensive coordinators, but he has done a very good job with Buffalo. And I don't think he's a bad coach, but if you want to look at uh, what he did as a head coach, wasn't a lot in Minnesota. They were pretty awful when he was there. So again, another guy where I think he's a great defensive coach wanting to bring him in as my head coach with guys like Eric bien Joe Brady, you know, it's just Houston's a mess right now. Yeah. I could not agree more. Because Frazier, I think he's great in Buffalo with McDermott. That's one of the best coaching staffs in football. But just bringing him in on as a head coach, you know, he's a defensive guy. that you That's already going to take off some points for you and probably a lot of other people. And also, he's not <sighs> distinguished as a head coach. Just a lot of question marks with being Frazier in. But at the end of the day, who else really wants this job? And he's probably the best out of anybody who was actually willing to take the job. Yeah. Cause I'm surprised the enemy is actually still in the running just from the standpoint of, I'm kind of surprised the enemy would want anything to do with this given what's going on. I think he needs it because for some reason, uh, teams just don't want to hire this guy. Right. It's like, I, I mean, I've heard that there's some character stuff. I, can't confirm or deny those and i'm not gonna back those up in any way shape or form because i've never met the guy and they're not something that have been well documented out in the media you know it's not like uh chauncey gardner johnson socking somebody in the face like i've seen that a couple times i've heard about it in practice with michael thomas i i know that that's kind of a fact don't know anything about the enemy or any of these character issues that i hear getting thrown around although maybe there is something there i'm not going to get into that but for whatever reason just guys don't want to hire this dude so I think he does have to take this Houston job to just show, hey, man, I can do this. I can run my team. You know, that's just kind of how I see it. Wouldn't it make more sense to do that as, like, a college coach or something? Because 
the chances of you failing in Houston are very high. Yeah, I could see that. I, what he probably should do that I've heard being thrown around a little bit is go accept an offensive coordinator job somewhere else. You know, go to somewhere where some offensive coordinator openings right now. Um, see, I could, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Who has an offensive coordinator spot open? I think a lot of them have been filled right now. Oh, Miami, Miami. But I don't know if that's the best place to look good. Did Kubiak retire? That's another one would be Minnesota. Minnesota. And Seattle. But I think Pete Carroll's got his his, – I think Pete Carroll's um, taking care of that for us by just run-heavy philosophy. Yeah. So why doesn't Pete Carroll just call plays himself at this point? He already knows what he wants to do. So rather than fire every offensive coordinator who dares to pass the ball. Right. Um, So, yeah, just being in a tough spot. He definitely should get this job, though. No hate to Leslie Frazier either, but when you look at how much a great play caller can elevate you versus how much a good defensive mind can elevate you, just the differences are drastic. However, a guy Justin was throwing around a while ago, uh, you want to go ahead and talk about him a little bit and his new offensive coordinator spot? Yeah, so Nick Sirianni, I just threw out a long a while back when one of our podcasts was like a dark horse head coaching candidate. I'm going to be honest. He was like the last guy. Um, Blake told me to come up with three dark horses. So I was like, you know what? I'll just throw this guy on the list. He comes from a good organization. But I'm really impressed actually with what he's done in Philly so far in terms of who his coordinators are. So first he brings in like the Colts defensive backs coach and it's a really good hire because by my play caller grades, which hopefully I should be getting an article on that soon. Indy has always been one of the top uh, defensive play callers in the league. But the one that's really exciting is Shane Steichen as offensive coordinator, because this season Shane Steichen was one of the better offensive play callers in football by my metrics. I know PFF had him as the number one play caller. So Wow. It's just a great staff that he's establishing. And if we know anything about new head coaches, the staff you hire is so critical. So there's a lot working in Nick Sirianni's favor right now. Yeah, just got to get that quarterback situation figured out and just get health. I mean, I hope he is coming in with a whole new health department. I hope he's figuring that out first. Yeah, that's not. And, you know, probably brings in a couple cap gurus, too, because they are in a tough spot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you really like what Sirianni is doing over there in Philadelphia. Um, I think that's it for, like, coaching stuff that's getting talked around a bit. I heard something about uh, – the name just stood out to me because I remembered him from Stanford, Pep Hamilton. Uh, offensive – is he the often no, he's, like, some type of quarterbacks coach with uh, Indianapolis, right? Um, Chargers. Chargers, yeah. I just remember Pep Hamilton from – from Stanford, then Indy, and then I just didn't know where he was from there. He was talking about the Steelers' OC job, correct? Yeah, but it looks like they ended up staying internal, which oh, honestly, then. with how well the Chargers um, did, like developing Herbert this year, like I would have gone with Pep Hamilton. Yeah, um, who'd they end up getting as their OC? The Chargers. They just promoted. Um, oh, the Chargers. So they went Saints uh, QBs coach. So I have no idea, like how much like that's going to carry over nor do I really know how to evaluate Sean Payne as a play caller like all the metrics say he's pretty average but that's mostly I think because he's been constrained based off of Breeze so that's a tangent for another day but that was just something very interesting yeah when we start talking about the QB market I think when you're getting coaches from somewhere I think the Saints are one of like the top notch places to get it from and all honesty I think they do a very good job of 
being coaches there um, don't necessarily want to equate them, but just in terms of how good they do with coordinators and that type of thing, they're very Alabama-esque in my opinion. Yeah, which Alabama continues to build a superpower. Did you see that they – a little college talk right here, but it's just so funny. Bill O'Brien uh, is the offensive coordinator now for Alabama, and you know Bill O'Brien is going to go on a tear and turn – who is it, Bryce Young? Bryce Young is going to win a Heisman, and then Bill O'Brien is going to be get, getting hired as an NFL head coach again soon. Yeah, just and just draw it up right there. And they hired Doug Marone as, like, O-line coach. Like, it's hilarious. Saban, Saban's amazing. I, 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 I really want to make an argument – it's conversation for another day. I think Saban is the greatest great in football. I really think him as a coach is greater than Tom Brady as a quarterback. That sounds completely crazy considering what Brady just did, but I really do think that nobody ever has and nobody ever will come close to how great of a coach Saban is. I mean, that's a bold statement, but I'm not sure it's one that's completely false. Yeah, I just You look at what he does and how he just – it's absolutely phenomenal. Every coach should be looking at Nick Saban as kind of the blueprint. Now he is in college, which makes stuff a little bit easier, but when was the last time a program was this dominant for this long? Like it's insane. You know, Clemson is kind of new to the table. They've been doing it for about what, five, six years now. Ohio state is maybe next, but even then they had some down years. Like nobody is just constantly great. Nick Saban is, um, we'll move on to, Matt Stafford, uh, Matt Stafford, I guess, wants out. Matt Stafford wants out. I don't know if this is kind of a mutual agreement thing. Detroit saying, hey, you know, we're probably not going to rock with you. So Matt Stafford seems to be going, what are some places that you would like to see Matt Stafford? Well, I think the obvious one is Indianapolis. Like that's the right spot around where like a first round pick should be given up for Matt Stafford. It's the perfect surrounding cast. They still have, they have the money to absorb him. They're in the spot where they're trying to win right now and like to have tons of young talent that just for me, like there are other possible ones, but that one is just by far the best one in my opinion. I think Indianapolis is a great one too. Washington is probably my second favorite right there with Indianapolis as well, because man, Washington, uh, I think Matt Stafford, two things about him. I think he really is underrated because when a majority of people think of Matt Stafford. I think they think of Jimmy G ish range. And look, if you had Jimmy G as like 16 or 17 and you had Matt Stafford to say 12 or 13, right? You said you had him at 12. If you put him in that 12 to 13 range, I could see that. However, the gap between Matt Stafford and the next guy in that next tier, just drastically huge. Matt Stafford, think of him more as Matt Ryan guys because look we've seen Matt Ryan be able to elevate a team into the Super Bowl he's been an MVP caliber player Matt Stafford is that type of player and I don't know if people just underrate him as a quarterback because he's been in Detroit or what but Matt Stafford is some elite shit so you know I've heard people talking about I wouldn't I wouldn't want to give a first rounder for him what it just makes no sense to me that people aren't willing to give up a first and some mid-round change for Matt Stafford when you're getting a quarterback who I think he's underrated because he's in that range I talk about every single podcast and now and it's popping up that 8 to 12 range. But his ceiling to me, just because of how great he is and how well-rounded he is in that cannon that he has for an arm, he, he has a higher ceiling than Kirk. He has a higher ceiling than Matt Ryan. Who else would you put in that range? Ooh, that's 
Derek maybe like cars. Derek Carr, I think he has a way higher ceiling. Ba- what about Tannehill. Baker? I think he can be like Ryan Tannehill the last two seasons, quite honestly. Damn, because Ryan Tannehill has been like really good. Um, so I just wrote an article on like the importance of like quarterback mobility and some other things. That was a lot of fun to do. And something that continuously comes up is Stafford's ability pr- to produce like a bunch of air yards in terms of the fact that like he's not getting helped out by a ton of yak yardage is pretty intriguing because that means he's probably less replaceable than, you know, like some other guys out there. And if you put him and you start giving him some extra yak yardage, I think his overall numbers will look a lot better. Um, I just want to see where he goes because I don't actually really agree with Washington because I'm just scared. It's too much like Detroit in terms of the, like where he's just not like, okay, cool. He has a good defense, but like, Washington's not winning even with Matt Stafford. I think like they maybe are. you win the division. Yeah, they're not they gonna. Are. If you Washington, add, it if doesn't you, matter. They are not beating Green Bay. They are not beating the elite teams in the NFC, and they're definitely they're not winning a Super Bowl with Matt Stafford in their like current could, state. No, if they add some they more can, stuff to that roster. But if you trade for Matt Stafford, then you're giving up like capital and a decent amount of your cap space. So. That's the thing. It's not you can't have both. If that makes sense, I think Washington should just continue to build for the future. I mean, I wouldn't hate San Francisco, but I know that's not the greatest situation cap wise. Yeah, I just think at the end of the day, Indy's got the play caller. They've got the like, I mean, O line. Even though we're starting to find out that O line might not really matter that much, and they have a good enough receiving court, and they have enough money after Stafford to still get a receiver. I think San Francisco should be looking at Matt Stafford because of what I just said, his ceiling. And I already think he's hands down a better quarterback than Jimmy G. I saw something that if the Niners acquire Stafford and cut or trade Jimmy G, I think they actually save about four to 5 million in cap um, because adding Stafford to this team, Stafford probably makes that throw to uh, Emmanuel Sanders and wins the Super Bowl last year, you know? So it's like Stafford to Jimmy G is a huge jump and it's a jump I'm totally willing to take with the play callers and the talent around him. San Francisco should definitely be looking at Stafford, but the problem comes up with then pick 12 for Matt Stafford. Then I don't really want to throw in that mid round change. I would totally draft Matt Stafford with pick 12, but it's not drafting because you have to take on the money and you only get them for two years. And there's a lot of problems with essentially saying you're drafting him at 12. So that's the range where I get a little bit like, yeah, I don't know about this one. Yeah. That's precisely my thoughts. Yeah. I, that's why I think the Colts like at 21 just makes so much sense here. New England could be an interesting one as well, but they're going to need to give up capital and right now their roster is not talented enough, in my opinion, to be just be throwing out capital like that. However, if you're New England, you might say, hey, we're going to pick some crappy wide receiver that can't separate it all, and we'll rock with that. So that's pretty much a waste of your capital. You might as well go get Stafford if you're going to waste it on crappy picks. I still don't think we've talked about New England enough as a team that could trade up for a quarterback. Like, they're loaded with mid-round picks. and That would be really intriguing. Where are they sitting at right now, like 15-ish? Yeah, that's not like that's definitely doable if someone falls. You think they would move into like the Lance range or the Wilson and Fields range? Kind of. So it depends what the Fields and Wilson range is, right? Because I think the Jets are still going to take a quarterback, but like there's this whole thing. What if Deshaun Watson like ends up there and then Houston like decides not to take one? 
Like there is a scenario where we're talking about a quarterback still like one of them still available at like seven, which at that point, like I'm running up to take like Wilson or Fields over Lance mm-hmm. any day of the week. But okay. if we're talking about if Atlanta decides to take a quarterback or Miami, then it's going to be Lance or you just stay put at 15. Why wouldn't uh, Houston take a quarterback if they're trading him to Miami or the Jets? You got two or three right there. You got two dudes wherever you pick that could probably be a franchise quarterback. Because this is the Texans. True. It just makes no sense to me that, you know, there's no rationale for me for that team to be like, okay, yeah, we're going to rock with. Is it still Tom Savage? I don't even – oh, it's – well, they had – no, no, no. So, they had A.J. McCarron, but he's a free agent, so they really got nothing. Yeah. They don't even have a QB on the roster if Watson leaves. Roll the punter out there, I guess. But, yeah, that's Stafford. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about another quarterback that might be on the move in a little bit, but first got to talk about his game, NFC Championship game, Bucks packers And let me just tell you, neither one of these teams deserve to be playing in the Super Bowl. It sounds crazy. It sounds stupid. But when I was watching this game – both of these teams seem to be trying to throw the game away, and it looked like only Green Bay was able to do it in the end. Yeah, this was just one of those games where it just, like, it's going to sound weird, but it just kind of happened. Like, it was kind of like, eh, like, yeah. okay, like, Tampa Bay won. Let's move on. I hate games like this. I felt like this during the Tampa Bay-New Orleans game last week, mm-hmm. where it was like, it's just, it sucks, like, and that's not what you want, but that's just kind of what transpired it's kind of sad because and I don't want to like be all negative here but like in the wild card round I there was a like a bunch of games there like between Buffalo and Indy and um whatchamacallit um uh if I could think right now like Buffalo Indy and then like how the Rams like kind of prevail well maybe not the Rams but what about like Baltimore Tennessee there's just high-end matchups and then all of a sudden you have this game where it's like oh neither team deserves to win I felt like even in the divisional round um the Cleveland Kansas City game was like one of those where both teams kind of deserved it um Rams Packers last week was fine but like this one was just like really weird and it just came down to which team was going to screw up the least yeah because you want to look at the Bucks and you say the Bucks won well, yes, they did, but they didn't exactly play well. I don't like to assign points as kind of being lucky, but Kevin King being a complete dumbass with like one second left in the half, that's idiotic, okay? That's a free seven points that they gave you right there. Then on the first Packers play of the half, you get a fumble and then a one-play touchdown from like the eight-yard line. This is not stuff – this is football stuff that happens, okay? You got a little bit lucky. There's luck in football. It's going to happen. So now you take this monstrous lead where you look like you should be winning. And then Tom Brady just throws interception after interception after interception and gives the ball back to the Packers. Tampa Bay was looking like they were trying to lose this game. Green Bay wasn't doing themselves any favors either. I mean, they play calling was crappy for both of these teams. What it came down to was really the best coach ended up winning this game. And that wasn't Bruce Arians. That wasn't Matt LaFleur. It was Todd freaking Bowles. And I said, coming into this game for Tampa Bay, I don't think they're going to win because what they've showed me, I, I, I don't believe that they're going to be able to flip this coin and, and switch who they are to be able to win this game. Bruce Arians did not. Really, I'm going to say Todd Bowles won this game because, one, he held uh, the Packers to 26 points. I thought that was a very – like 
holding Green Bay to 26, I'm proud of that already. You know, I'm walking away feeling pretty solid. Now it's just you need your offense to get about 30 points. They did that. And he was super big in all the situations he needed to be really good on. Turnover, turnover, turnover. Three interceptions. How many points do you think Green Bay scored out of that? Not like that's the seven. crazy thing. They, oh, well, they scored on the first, first one, but like on the two picks they got in the fourth quarter, they didn't get a first down after that. Exactly. And and Todd Bowles, you could say, uh, oh, Green Bay's offensive line was just crap. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of bad offensive lines in the league. Uh, but with how great that interior is, like this was an offensive line that just a week ago embarrassed the Rams and Aaron Donald, albeit a hurt Aaron Donald. Where was all those complainers about Aaron Rodgers ain't got no offensive line. Aaron Rodgers ain't got no help. No, the defensive coordinator and Brandon Staley, I'm not dissing you, but Todd Bowles came out with his game plan and executed. I said, Todd Bowles, you're not going to be able to be sending these six, seven, eight man pressures at Aaron Rodgers. He's going to dissect you. Todd Bowles said, all right, Blake, I'm a listener to the podcast. I got you. I got you. Five man pressures was pretty much all I saw. A couple sixes here and there did a very good job simulating and disguising pressure. A majority of the time it was four man rushes. And then what he did with those four-man rushes, just amazing. He said, look, Billy Turner, crap, okay? Billy Turner's crap. We know this. Shaq Barrett, I know that he could probably beat Rick Wagner on a majority of his reps. He was doing a great job of forcing double teams on twists and stunts on the inside and just getting JPP to work one-on-one with Billy Turner. And he ate his lunch. That's, yes, those tackles sucked. However, you know, help him out. Chip some running backs. Do like I think we need to definitely talk about Lafleur failing in this game too. Not just because of how much he wanted to run the ball on early downs and that type of thing, but of how unwilling he was to clearly change and be able to beat what was going wrong on Tampa Bay. Who was it? Was it oh, uh, Carlton Davis? Carlton Davis wanted to give this ball game away. He was just getting bullied on the whole time. Why don't you just continually target Carlton Davis? You know, it just everything that Matt LaFleur could have done in this game to help Aaron Rodgers out. He just didn't do in my opinion. I completely agree. And it's sad because LaFleur had been like one of the elite play callers this year. And this was just so uncharacteristic of him. Yeah. Um, he's not the only coach who kind of pulled a full 180 and went away from what he was. Uh, that field goal attempt, you're down by eight, fourth and goal from like the seven ish yard line. And you decide to kick the field goal. I get it. And I'm not, I don't agree with it because you have to stop Tom Brady, who you know is going to get to it. What was Tampa Bay? Weren't they like six for six on their first third down, on their first couple of third downs? They were perfect, right? Yeah, which is just insane. And that's part of the reason why you should be a little skeptical of Tampa Bay going forward because that is just going to regress. Right, that is. But they've been eating your lunch on third down, so you really expect them you know what they're going to do, right? You know the situation. Run, run, force a timeout, force a two-minute warning, whatever you may do, right? We get that. This was probably the only time I didn't want to uppercut Bruce Arians for running the ball on first down. Um, so you know they're probably going to run, run, and then you're facing a third and seven. What in that game showed me, like, did I just think, hey, I'm going to get lucky. This is going to be the time. No, I got outclassed the entire time on third down. They were just bullying Chandon Sullivan. Like, <laughs> what made – uh, um, Matt LaFleur think, yes, this is going to be the time we stop him on third down. And you know what the sad thing is? They did stop him on third down finally. This was the lucky time. But they just called a, a pretty uh, – I don't want to call it a crappy PI because I'll explain why in a second. It wasn't a bad pass interference call in a vacuum. If I showed you that play and said, hey, is this a PI or not? Then you'd say yes. But then if I showed you comparatively, hey, this one, Carlton Davis, right? Was it Carlton Davis? 
is is this a, a pass interference or a defensive holding? They said this was not. Okay, I show you the other one. Is this a pass interference or defensive holding? You say, eh, maybe yeah, I'll go yes. They said this was not. And then I show you that third one, you're saying no. So that's why it's such a crappy call. In a vacuum, easily a PI. But with what had been getting called, no way in hell you should be calling that to determine the outcome of the game. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's how a lot of games go. It comes down to just inconsistency from officiating. It's not about making just the right call at the right time. It's about just having some consistency throughout the game. Yeah, and they were horrible all game. Um, yes, if you're a Green Bay fan, you're definitely pissed off because that call into your game. I, I don't think they were playing favorites because they gave Aaron Rodgers a couple of times the Aaron Rodgers delay of game, which is just a delay of game that doesn't get called. I'm okay with that. You know, I don't want to see delay a game every time, but they were a couple of times when I was like, yeah, that's past the Aaron Rodgers second. There were a lot of holds that I saw that I was, I was kind of like, I know you want to call less holdings, but that right there is a clear and obvious hold. There was another one that I just can't remember for some reason that they didn't call on Green Bay where I was like, yeah, that should most definitely be a flag. So officiating, yes, it ended up winning Tampa the game, but it was crappy on both sides. But Green Bay, you do have a right to be pissed. Yeah, and that was – I think the one you're referring to, what, didn't Green Bay have like a false start or something? Yeah, that like didn't I think get, that's what Yeah, but um, the thing that I still can't believe is that Aaron Rodgers did not try to run the ball in on that like third and goal. I do. I, I mean, I get that, but – Look, I've never been a quarterback at any level or the NFL level. I don't know what it's like to, you know, kind of – he. if you think about it, he was looking towards the middle of the field. Maybe his peripherals didn't catch up on the wide open grass. And wasn't there a guy kind of like right where he was passing it? If that's a, a safety or a cornerback, he's probably going to be able to beeline to Rodgers and flatline him about, about the three or the four. Like everybody's talking about, oh, this was just wide open grass. You got to think these dudes run four, four forties. He's probably going to beeline. And I think he would have connected with them about the two or the three. That's a good, but then again, right. That sets it's you not up about better, getting in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and I heard Matt LaFleur said, Oh, we didn't like go for it because, Oh, the previous plays weren't a success. You cannot let what happened on like the previous play dictate if you go for it on a fourth down or not. Right. Recency bias, recency bias. You definitely can't have that as a coach for the bucks. Um, they need a change. They need to change. Look, I said it last week. I said there's no way they beat Green Bay if they don't change. They didn't change. I'm going to say it again for the Kansas City game. If they do not change up their ways on offense, they're not going to win. Look, Kansas City's defense, 10 times better than the Packers' defense. They're much well better coached. They're, Spagnolo is 10 times a defensive coordinator and play caller that Mike Pettin is. The talent on that defense is just better, in my opinion. Because, look, they – didn't have if you looked at the Rams defense they had decent others that were elevated by the star players the the others on this Packers defense absolute shit I'm sorry uh Kevin King garbage Chandon Sullivan garbage um pretty much everybody that's not named Zadarius Smith Kenny Clark or Jair Alexander outside of the safeties on this defense are pretty freaking garbage yeah no like Preston this is the defense this is a great example the defense is a weak link thing it's not about having star talent. It's about avoiding weak links. And Green Bay has a ton of them. Kansas City, not so much outside a linebacker, which really doesn't matter. Yeah. Although <clears throat> I don't think it's a weak link, but uh, Tampa Bay definitely does win every wide receiver on cornerback battle, in my opinion. Yeah. I, and I love But Tenders. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're corner number two is Kevin King, like that's just not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. For the Packers, though. 
Aaron Rodgers seemed defeated in that postgame presser, man. He looked like he might be done. I don't think he's leaving. I, I like that's here's the thing. I think Rogers, it's being though. a little overblown. Yeah, my honestly, Aaron Rodgers is one of my least favorite players in football for that reason. He's very like, I don't know. I don't want to call it soft. I don't know what to call it. In his feelings, he just reminds me of like a high school girl kind of who's always getting offended by everything. That's Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's just soft. He doesn't have tough skin. It's weird. It's the weirdest thing ever. Anytime anything like this, it very blamey too. I think he's a crappy leader. And my buddy, who's a Packers fan, I talk with him all the time. And he's like, uh, around earlier in the season before Green Bay looked super elite, he was like, dude, I, that that BS that you're always talking about, Aaron Rodgers isn't a good leader. I think that's that's crap. You know, like, and um, I, I was putting some points on why he was. He was giving me some points why not. And, you know, if I had to say he won the argument, my buddy probably did. I was like, yeah, okay, you make a point. Then every year, end of the season comes around and we get some Aaron Rodgers bullshit like this. He just seems like he doesn't care about the team. seems like he's ready to give up on these guys. And it's really annoying to me. And I'm somebody who hates the Packers. It's really annoying to me that Aaron Rodgers is kind of doing this to his team year in and year out. That being said, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I am pretty pissed off with Green Bay because they never help me out. They never do anything. But you're in a spot where you had this success all year long. You know, like, where were these problems at in the middle of the year? Oh, there weren't any because everything was going good. You know what I mean? You should be – forcing these guys to get better and elevate you should be complaining the same way you were after this game when you beat somebody by a margin you probably didn't want to beat them by because wide receiver x didn't make a play or cornerback y didn't make a play here and there if you really want to be great and phenomenal you have to be having the same attitude that you're having now at the end of the season when you lost because of lack of help that you had week eight when you blew somebody out but you could have played better it's I don't know. It just really rubs me the wrong way every single time we get this because we don't see it in the regular season when Green Bay has a game that they probably should have won by more. It just, ugh, I don't know. Yeah, I see your point. Um, yeah, he's just incredibly upfront. Like, that's really what the main thing is to it. Like, he just doesn't hold anything back. And I wonder, I was thinking this a little when I saw, I was like, is he trying, like, even with the Matt LaFleur kind of like, oh, well, we didn't get the right, if I would have known, I would have called a better play on third down. Well, wouldn't you have been more likely like, – there's just a lot of things. Like, if you thought you were going for it on fourth down, probably don't take an end zone shot. Maybe you do scramble for, like, three or four yards. So I think that's actually a ton of BS. And, I mean, even the lack of, like, transparency is an issue. I wonder if he's just trying to say, oh, this is LaFleur's fault. Because there has been always a narrative that, oh, this, like, the Seattle loss was Brandon Bostick on the onside kick's fault. And this was the defense's fault. And this was all Mike McCarthy. So I think this is a this is all about blame game, and I hate it when we get into this. I do hate it because if we want to – like ugh, the other guy on the other side of the ball at midseason when he's just getting completely shit on by Bruce Arians. Like it, it, it was bad. Bruce Arians every week. Our quarterback just needs to play better. Quarterback kind of sucks. Quarterback can't get with the scheme. Bruce Arians was going in on this guy. And what does Tom Brady come out and say? Nothing nothing tom brady's just sticking down doing his thing that's why tom brady has six super bowls dude that's why you have one that's why tom brady is not one in four in conference championship games it's not just aaron Rodgers is 10 times the athlete that tom brady is quite frankly he could be a way better quarterback aaron Rodgers could have 12 rings by now 
He ain't the same yeah. guy. He's not elevating the team to the same extent that Tom Brady is. And that's the difference. That's the difference between these two yeah. guys. That's why one's the GOAT, and that's why one is probably the best quarterback to ever play. It's that simple. No disagreement. And that's why, like, if somebody wanted to tell me, hey, Blake, Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Okay, I can get behind that. The minute anybody tries to say Aaron Rodgers is greater than Tom Brady, you're an idiot. I mean, you really are. Aaron Rodgers, he, yes, he's a better quarterback, but he just doesn't. I, I really think it's a leadership thing that causes this difference. You know, Tom Brady is getting in there as essentially a coach with this Tampa Bay team. Yeah, I mean, this has been all Tom Brady this year, which is so ironic that, like, Bruce Arians was even saying that, like, in hindsight. Like, Tom Brady literally cannot play, like, any better than he has this year, given how difficult of a scheme this is. I mean, we saw Jameis Winston just, like, completely fall apart in terms of a turnover perspective. Like, there's no pre-snap motion. There's no play action. It's just a bunch of high-difficulty throws. And I've not once heard Tom Brady, like, say a word about it this year. Nope. And even I'll give you this. I think Aaron Rodgers played better than Tom Brady the other day. I mean, I really think he did. But at the end of the day, Tom Brady is just going to get by. You know, even if you wanted to say, oh, Tom Brady got a crappy call there. The what he was doing in this game, um, the turnovers. Yes, some of the interceptions were his fault, but some of the interceptions were because he got in third and longs early and the Packers know they're just sending pressure now. Like Bruce Arians is not helping out Tom Brady whatsoever. And Tom Brady is still out here putting 31 points up on you. Yeah, because he's amazing. And the another thing that I want to go to about people complaining about Aaron Rodgers not having any help, how many points did he put up last week against the Rams? I mean, More the best it. performance we've seen against the Rams defense all year and the Rams defense is better than the Bucks. I mean you can you can argue anybody can argue with me the Rams defense was better this year they've been they've showed me better this year they've played better this year and now you just uh, too many things with Rodgers that just kind of pisses me off and rubs me the wrong way nothing about him being a player either on the field he's fun to watch especially when he gets sacked and yeah um <laughs> uh but yeah so it kind of looks like he might be done with green bay you think no i think possibly yes i've heard that he he's asking for a new contract um which is weird because doesn't he have like four years left yeah but i mean so that what i've heard is because he's cuttable after next year he's trying to get a new deal that would make him untradeable throughout jordan love's contract that's, so this is this is this is all about him staying in green bay and Honestly, like, I don't think Green Bay should go to Jordan Love. Jordan Love is a flawed prospect. There's nothing wrong with taking a backup quarterback who you can flip and just insurance in case Aaron Rodgers, like, declined at the back end of the first round. There wasn't, like, there was some elite talents, like, on the board that were, like, everyone was like, oh, this is a blue-chip player. Like, oh, where are you going to take Patrick Queen and his 30 PFF grade this year? Like, it's okay to take quarterback insurance, and it turns out Aaron Rodgers was fine. Like, you don't have to start Jordan Love just because you spent a first-round pick on him. Got some names for you. Michael Pittman, uh, Higgins, um, Denzel Mims. Yeah, Green Bay did screw up that pick drastically, in my opinion. But I get what Rodgers wants. He's essentially saying, like, it, what I've heard it's come down to is a pick me or Jordan Love. And – I don't know. Just the fact that he continues to do stuff like, like that's a very Aaron Rodgers thing to do like this pick me scenario. And it just, I don't know, rubs me the wrong way again, but uh, where could you see Rodgers going? If he needs to go somewhere, same places. 
it's probably once again Indianapolis. I think Washington uh, should wait because, like you said, you don't know how much different Detroit is from Washington. But if you're going to Aaron Rodgers, you get him another wide receiver. Terry Mack, another guy. I think Washington could be a fun spot. And Ron Rivera is number one locker room guy, in my opinion. Yeah, that would be fun to watch. You know where the scariest place would be ever at all? Huh? huh. New England. New England. Of course. I, I think that's who Belichick might like be waiting out for even a little. Yeah. What would, what do you think the return would have to be? Three first rounders and Gilmore? Uh, it would be something crazy. Like, but the, yeah. And I wonder just how much though with Rogers' age and I don't know if it'd be three though, because like Rogers getting up there in age, like if we're talking about three for Watson, it's not going to be more than two for Rogers. I'd, I'd go two, a second, maybe a mid round change or two and Gilmore. To get Rodgers. See what's what's different about this, even compared to um, like should New or not New England, Houston try to trade Watson, is you. That's where like players like Gilmore, like ancillary pieces, actually become valuable in terms of trading because Green Bay is going to try to win right away with Jordan Love. Dude, Jair and Gilmore, that would be some sign scary. me up. That would be some scary stuff right there. Um, but yeah, so I think that wraps it up. Now we go to Bills and Chiefs. Oh, very depressed. Very depressed as the number one non-Bills Mafia, uh, Josh Allen fan. Rough day. Rough day. Josh Allen kind of reverted back to young Josh Allen. Um, Don't want to give him a pass, but he was playing a very great defense with a very great coaching staff. Was under a lot of pressure. Those are the little excuses for him. However, we've seen Josh Allen play against some stuff like that this year and succeed. So, really, I just think it was a brutal game from him. Yeah, that was not great. Um, just that was old Josh Allen, and it sucks that it came down to this after, especially right when he's like in a scenario where we're talking about him getting an extension. Like that's just such a sour taste because it really was just old Josh Allen, and now you have to go into the off season with that, and certainly not going to make the doubts about him sustaining this like go away. I I do think he wasn't and I know what your argument is going to be he should be able to elevate regardless I don't think anything was helping him out play calling wasn't helping him out in my opinion offensive line wasn't helping him out in my opinion receivers weren't creating separation like they usually do overall it was just yeah kind of brutal however he did look a little jittery in the early part of this game so I think there is a lot of blame that he has to put on himself yeah, and this is not the first – the thing that's weird is this was definitely not the first game where he's been jittery. He just has an effect in the past. All these games he's had some negative plays, and his average depth of target has just been way too high. Yeah. Uh, I think, though, that's going to happen. You know, it's your first time in the playoffs, and, like, you're seen as the guy who elevates this train, right? It's not like he was um, just a game manager, right? He was elevating these guys to be super elite and causing this to be one of the best offenses in football. So when you get to that point, I is, I do think it's a lot of pressure. And if you look at guys who have been in that scenario before, like I was when I was watching Brady this weekend, I just sat there and was like, dude, this is like he's playing a Madden game. He does not. He's relaxed. He's ready to go. You know. And Josh Allen was the complete opposite. I expect that from a dude in his first playoff run, especially when he is the guy. He's not a game manager or anything like that at that point. So I kind of expected it to to happen like that. Um, so I just want to see him get back to the stage and see how he does in the playoffs next year. Yeah, and the one thing I will say is, like, he just got let down by Brian Dable and Sean McDermott in this game. 
Like when you like Kansas City's out here, they run about five to ten plays a game where you're just like, what is this? I've never seen this before in my life. This is incredible. Like Patrick Mahomes looked like a second baseman flipping it to a shortstop for a double play on like one of his touchdowns to Travis Kelsey. Meanwhile, like it's just nothing was like going for Brian Dable. I don't really know what happened because this has been one of the most creative play callers all year. And it just seemed like Buffalo choked. Yeah, uh, everything. They just, they got way too conservative. Like, they went on everything that made them good and just kind of flipped it. You know, they're like, nah, we don't want to do everything that made us good. We don't want to be aggressive. We want to kick field goals against Kansas City. Well, we don't want to let Josh Allen rip the ball early. We, we want to go ahead and let Devin Singletary have a big game. It was just very, very just uh, opposite of what they've been, which didn't make any sense to me. And did you see what McDermott said in his um, press conference today? No, what did he say? The main goal for us to improve next year is to get the running game on track. Mm. Mm. Like how you just like became like you essentially went from like one of the worst offenses to the best offense. And the one thing that really changed was, well, obviously Allen approved, but a philosophy standpoint is you stopped running the ball so much. You went and you were just all in on passing the ball like on early downs and you're just ambushing teams. That was your one big edge and they're starting to just give away those edges. Yeah. I will say though, one of my call outs um, was that I wanted to see Josh Allen get after it in the running game. And the couple of times that they got Josh Allen going in the running game were pretty effective chunks. So, you know, if anybody needs an offensive coordinator spot, I'm right here. Yeah. Come on. Like, come on people like Blake's out here doing like he knows exactly what Todd Bowles is supposed to do exactly. he knows exactly what like the Bills should do on offense yet we have all these like retread we have Anthony Lynn as the Detroit Lions uh, offensive coordinator just taking away any optimism anyone could have about like the Dan Campbell I know. era I want to talk about that for a second because I came on here was it Friday that we talked about the coaches right yeah and I was rather higher on Dan Campbell in the field because um, you know, Justin was kind of lower on him, although he went back and watched the press conference and said, this dude is authentic as hell, although running the balls was giving Justin headaches. Um, but yeah, I was like, I'm really excited for Dan Campbell. You know, he might get a nice offensive play caller. Anthony Lynn, offensive coordinator of the Detroit <laughs> Lions. And I'm like, oh, shoot. We don't do a lot of fantasy talk here. Go get yourself some shares of DeAndre Swift right now. Are you sure he's tough enough, though? I don't know. I don't know if DeAndre, they, you know who it's going to be? Big old Adrian Peterson. Yeah, that's that's who you really want. Like, you know who it is going to be. rush for 2,000 yards again. You know who it's going to be? Huh? Kyle Hughescheck is going to come in and play running back because ain't nobody tougher than Kyle Hughescheck. I'm telling you right now, the Detroit Lions are going to do two, one of two things. They're either drafting Micah Parsons at seven to get tougher on defense, or they're drafting Trey Lance and they're just going to be this like power running team. I think they could have some success, success with Lance if they used him correctly. Hey, maybe. Maybe, just maybe, Anthony Lynn was the secret Justin Herbert whisperer when he left. It's not Shane Steichen that turned him around. It was Anthony Lynn who whispered him something in his ear as he walked out the door, and that's why Justin Herbert was great. This guy's going to be the Trey Lance whisperer if he heads into Detroit. Yeah, um, no. Just, just watch. Just watch. Anthony Lynn, best quarterback developer since Mike Holgram, right? Isn't that the dude who turned around Brett Favre? All jokes, obviously, yeah. Detroit signing Anthony Lynn did kind of make me depressed for Dan Campbell as that's kind of what Justin expected from Dan Campbell, and that's what I was hoping Dan Campbell wouldn't do. So Yeah, that's just <sighs> not what you want. 
Shame. Shame, Dan Campbell. Um, but yeah, for the Chiefs, this is why the Chiefs are so scary because they just can turn it on at any time. The playmakers that they have here, absolutely insane. And I think this was a display. I think they were super underrated last year on their playoff run. And I think they were super underrated for stretches of the season this year. That defense, man, that defense is no joke. They got talent in the places where they need the talent. And I think they are super well coached and just underrated. Like nobody gives these guys any credit, in my opinion, when in reality, they're probably in that top 10-ish defensive range. Yeah, no, they're really good. Actually, I can tell you right now, Kansas City ranks 13th. 15th? 13th. 13th. What's the difference between them and eight? That's what I want to hear next. Oh, here we go. Um, Because usually – Nothing. Nothing? Yeah. See, that's my thing. When I was talking to Justin about his rankings, and you hear – oh, Kansas City's 13th. And then it's like, well, what's the difference between them and, say, the eighth-ranked team? And then if it's a small difference, you know, hey, these guys are probably about as good as a top-10 defense. Whenever you're ranking something, it's hard. That's why I know Justin is a huge fan of tiering things. Yeah, you always got a tier thing. Because you hear 8th versus 13th, and you're like, whoa, that's a big difference. But then you hear they're both in, I don't know, we'll just imaginary, tier 2, and you're like, okay, yeah, Tampa or uh, Kansas City has a tier 2 defense. Um we're not going to talk about Super Bowl previews yet. We're going to be coming with that on Tuesday and next Friday. Both days we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on Tuesday and then a lot of bit of time on Friday. But right now, I'm going to say the same thing I've said about Tampa. Um, they need a change or else they're probably going to get boat raced. Yeah, and my model, um, early results are that like Tampa Bay should be able to cover that three-point spread. Me just thinking – just as of just watching the games, I don't see it. Yeah. Um, the thing with Tampa is I think they have a clear and obvious weakness on the defensive side of the football, that being Carlton Davis. Um, I don't see that huge weakness on Kansas City's defense, especially after Brashad Breland came out there and played super well on Diggs. Charvarius Ward, one of my favorite dudes in the league who's very underrated. You know, like, where do you look at that defense other than the linebackers and say, that's where we're going to abuse these guys? Yeah, that's the whole problem. And even then, linebackers, what are you going to abuse linebackers with? You know, drive routes on the inside. You know, and worst comes to worst, uh, Tyron Matthew pretty much plays slot-ish linebacker type. So even then, you could kind of morph your mind into some propaganda that makes you think their linebackers in the box aren't that bad at all because you could – probably get away with saying Tyron Matthew plays in the box out like that. Yeah. I I will say though, I love what Kansas city does with their others. I think others are going to be the huge thing in the defense going forward about anybody. Um, Thornhill always is making plays. And if you throw Thornhill anywhere else, he's probably not as good. Legereus Sneed, they've got the most out of him. Ward, they've got the most out of him. Um, Anybody that they throw next to Chris Jones. I don't know if this is just good coaching by Spagnolo or Chris Jones, just being an absolute freaking dog but whoever on the interior lines up next to chris jones is usually going to be an absolute monster and that's i mean spagnolo i just cannot say enough like good things about like that's really what changed for kansas city by 2018 they're out here there's blitzing tom brady every play playing base defense brady shredding them um this time around i don't know because i mean we've already seen spagnolo against brady a couple times since spagnolo is not easy to beat yeah, I will say, though, 
I wonder how deep I, I need to go back and watch it. And I'm actually probably going to watch it a couple times. I want to see how deep Brady is going to go. And this sounds crazy into the Belichick book, right? Because Belichick has just frustrated Patrick Mahomes just throughout their meetings comparative comparatively to everybody else. Right. Didn't uh, this year, didn't Belichick and that defense give uh, Mahomes one of his worst games ever? Yeah. It's something crazy like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think they're going to kind of need to channel some of that um, um, Bill Belichick in. And I think they actually have talent on their defense to do so. Uh, but, you know, we're going to watch it. We're going to do studies, whatever. We're going to look at stats and everything. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week. However, this week, Friday, a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the senior bowl and um, Justin's probably, we'll probably go more in depth into your, your quarterback article that you just wrote. If you don't release anything else until then. Ooh, there, let's get it. It's going to be a little bit of a, of a different podcast on Friday. A lot of senior bowl talk and bringing up Justin's article. It should be a fun one though, especially if you're interested in the draft uh, stuff, this is going to be our first big pick energy uh, podcast. You know, we've talked about some mock draft stuff that have gone up on YouTube, but if you're strictly a podcast listener, then, you know, this is going to be your first taste of the, the big pick energy. Let's get go. Like draft season is the best season. Like I, I'm going to be real. Like I just, went turned on my tv for like two seconds it was the senior bowl like the time about taking some project qb in the seventh round i'm like oh it's this time again yeah i will say though uh i'm excited to talk about the senior bowl because i have a couple i have a couple guys up my sleeve that i'm just super pumped to talk about you always do yeah so make sure you know you guys tune in for that it's gonna be a little bit interesting you guys oh my gosh let me just thank you guys for a second the last podcast you guys did great on it between the two, the YouTube and anchor where it shows me, you know, the listens from everywhere. You guys blew that podcast up. I'm just so thankful. Keep it up, man. Whatever you guys did on that last one, just please, please, please do it again. You know, put your best buddy onto it, put your dad onto it, put your grandpa onto it, especially your dad. If you're, if you're a younger listener, uh, put your dad onto it. Dads are podcast listeners. Look, me and you, we may not be sitting down listening to podcasts. Dads do. Trust me. My dad got AirPods just so he could walk around the house listening to podcasts instead of my little brother have to be in online school. He did. True story. So make sure you guys are putting like dads, uncles, grandpas on the podcast because they'll sit down and listen. Um, but yeah, whatever you guys did on that last one, I thank you guys so much. That's going to wrap it up for today. I think we did quick. I don't know. We just get in here and start talking and I can never tell if it feels long or short. Whenever we try to go short, feels like we just end up at an hour anyway. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. We're going to be back on Friday. You know, hope you guys enjoy your week. If it's your first week back at school, I know it's mine. Uh, you know, you got this. Uh, peace and love. Thank you guys so much.